Amen. Well, good morning. I have to admit, the best part of that Christmas Eve is going to be lit joke was the usher standing next to me that just says under his breath, wow. (laughs) That was my response too. That was funny. But anyway, welcome. Uh, Glad you're here. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here on staff and uh, excited for what we have for you today. Uh, After party. You've heard this come up. This is the series that we're in right now. Um, But how many of you have actually been to an after party? before. Like there's, there's the party and then there's the after party. This is the party that you want to be at. And so take you back, maybe you're in um, high school, maybe it's homecoming, maybe it's prom, maybe you're on a sports team, it, whatever it is, there's, there's the event or there's the party. And then what moves on after that is the exclusive invite only MVP, you know, most important people, the VIP show up. This is the party that you want to be at. And so the question is, how many of you have been to something like that? Um, But let me define it for you here quick. Online, definition says, uh, it's usually an exclusive party that takes place after a performance or other event or after the main party. So the question for you I have today is, what is the most exclusive after party you've ever been invited to? Uh, For me, uh, this took me back a couple years. I'm originally from Chicago. Anybody else? Chicago? Anybody? Nobody. Look at you. Well, I'm from Chicago, and I'm confident being by myself. So in Chicago, uh, I'm a diehard Cubs fan, right? I love Cubs. Wow, somebody speaks up now. All right. Sorry. I got you. Quiet down. So here's the thing. In Chicago, we love our sports, we love our sports teams, um, but, you know, it's pretty expensive to go to any sort of game like this. And so there's one day, my dad was a pastor, this guy came up to my dad and he said, on a Sunday, hey, I have this fun event for you and your family to go to tonight if you want to go. And he's like, you want to give me a little more information, tell me details? He's like, just trust me, this is, this is something you want to go to. So he says, okay, and so he, he tells my dad, didn't hear you. Anyway, moving on. He tells my dad, show up downtown Chicago at this field at this time. And I go, okay. And um, so we all go, right? The whole family, we go with dad. We show up downtown. We're at the Chicago Cubs stadium, Wrigley Field. And this is the sign that I see. Like we're walking in. It's not a game day, but we're, we're walking up and it, and it says home of the Chicago Cubs, Wrigley Field. You know, we're excited, but we're also wondering like, what is this thing that we're going to? Because it's not currently a game day. And as we walk up, we don't have tickets, we don't have anything. We just, we parked, we walked in, and we walk up to this lady, and she's standing there behind a locked gate. And she says, can I help you? You know, and we're, we're like, um, we were just told to show up. You know, and it's like she's sitting there like, yep, heard that one before. And we're like, we, seriously, somebody told us to show up tonight. They said, just come and be excited to have fun. And she's like, wait, are you the Dorner family? And immediately, all of our jaws hit the floor, right? Because we don't have tickets. We don't have a flyer. We, we have nothing. We, have, we don't know what, what's going on at all. She goes, are you the Dorner family? We go, yeah. She's like, oh, perfect. We've been expecting you. And no joke, from behind the gate, unlocks it, slides it open, and says, come on in. Welcome to Wrigley Field. And begins to give us a tour of the stadium, a tour of Wrigley Field. And as we walk in, we see like the main concourse area. And we walk up, and we're looking down on the field. I'm not lying to you. As we look to the field, there's a buffet line on both sides behind the dugouts. The field is open. There's people running around literally all over the place. And she says, help yourself. 
whatever you want. There's enough food, just stuff your faces, go on the field, go play catch, go run the bases, go hang out in the dugout, go to the bullpen, wherever you want to go, just go. We're excited you're here. And it was this thing called Sponsor Fest. Sponsor Fest is just the way that they say thank you to the people that make their, their season possible. And so on no merit of our own, only by invitation were we allowed to walk in. And so here I am, I'm, I'm running the bases. I'm in the outfield, it looks like this. You know, the vines on the back wall. I'm like looking at them, I'm touching them. I like pick a leaf and I put it in my pocket. And it's like, this is the coolest thing. And I'm looking and the lights are on and I'm, I'm looking around going, I can't believe that I'm here right now. And I go, oh, this, this is cool. We had a good time and uh, we're playing catch, right? Like we're playing out in the outfield, we're playing in the infield, whatever. And my dad says this at the end. And you have this like ball and it's dirty and it's grass stained and everything. And my dad says to like us kids, there's four of us, he says to us kids very sincerely, I'd very much like this baseball. And he takes the baseball and he mounts it in his, in his room at home, right? And it's just sitting on the stand and it's been there ever since. And it signifies such an important event, but I didn't understand the significance at the time until this. I was talking to my grandpa. Lived in Chicago his whole life. He's in his 80s. And we're telling him, like, Grandpa, you're not going to believe this. We were downtown. We thought we were being punked. We thought, like, TV cameras were going to show up. And then we walked in. And Grandpa's like, wait, you, you did what? You were on Wrigley Field? And he looked at me and he said, the closest I've ever been to Wrigley Field in my life has been I bought a jar of dirt when they resurfaced the field. And here I was spending two hours running the bases, playing catch, the significance, the weight of what we had just done all of a sudden hit me. So this is the question I asked you. What's the most exclusive after party you've ever been invited to? We're going to jump into a story today in Scripture in which someone, in fact, I don't even want to go so far as to say someone, nobody, a nobody from Nowheresville was invited to the most exclusive after party that she could ever imagine. So if you have your Bible, whip it out for me. Um, we're going to be in a, a book of the Bible called Luke. So it's one of the Gospels. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I have the words on the screen for you here, but if you want to follow along, that's great. Um, but the scene takes place in this town called Nazareth. Nazareth is in the Middle East. It still exists today. It actually looks like this. Uh, but this, believe it or not, is more modern day. Years ago, this was like a teeny, tiny, itty-bitty little town. Max capacity, like max population, according to scholars, is 400 people lived in Nazareth. So it is tiny. How many of you have heard of Omer, Michigan? Okay, like five of you. Do you know why? Because there's like 300 people from Omer, Michigan. Most of us haven't heard of Omer, Michigan. Just like 2,000 years ago, most people in a room or a context like this would have never heard of Nazareth. It just wasn't important. It wasn't significant. So Nazareth is where this takes place. And so there's a nobody, right? This, this girl, she's pretty insignificant. She's not from a royal family. She's nothing. Her name's Mary. And so she's living in Nazareth. She's 14 years old. She goes to bed run, one night, right? She's tucked in. She's sleeping. And she gets woken up. And this is what happens. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then I love this next line. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Do you know why she was troubled at his words? Because there's a foreign man that she's never seen before standing in her bedroom in the middle of the night. 
Just let it sink in, right? In Michigan, there'd be a shotgun racked at this point, going, what's going on? I'm feeling very troubled. So that's what Mary says. I'm feeling greatly troubled at his words, and I wonder, what kind of greeting is this? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Keep going here. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Hallelujah. That's what I call a grenade. Piece of information, you pull the pin and you toss it and you say, okay, figure it out before it blows up your life. Angel says, congratulations, you're going to get pregnant. And God is actually going to, to overshadow you and he's going to give you a son. And this son will be called the son of God. He'll be known from generation to generation to generation for the rest of eternity. And God showed up in this little town that no one would expect, that no one knew of, that honestly nobody even cared about. To a girl that no one knew of or no one would expect. God, isn't it true, often shows up in places we least expect it. Here he is in Nazareth, a 14-year-old girl, and he says, hey, I, I don't just know you, but I see you. You matter to me. You've made an impression on me. And I'm excited because I'm going to extend you the most important invitation of your life. So what's Mary say? What can we learn 2,000 years later from a 14-year-old girl living in Nazareth? This is her response. She says, how will this be? Focus on that second word, will. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She's going, um, nothing against you. I'm just trying to compute this in my head. Um, I'm a virgin. I'm not yet married. I'm engaged. I'm going to marry this guy in about a year's time so I could see it happening then. That, that makes sense to me. But, but how will this be? Holy Spirit will come on you, says the angel, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then he goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her, own, in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And this is what she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. And that's just been steeping in me now for a couple of weeks, just kind of thinking about this, going, okay, Mary's life was on a path, and it was on a trajectory, and she was living life the way that she was used to and was expected by all the people around her. And in the time that she least expected it, in the place that was least expected, God showed up and extended an invitation, and she responds by saying, I trust you, you're in charge, and whatever you say, I'll do. She goes on to say here afterwards, um, she jumps into this, uh, it's like a song of praise, right? She's overjoyed and she's excited, but I don't think Mary truly understands the significance of what she was called to. Because at this time and in this moment when she least expected it, I, I just want to throw out a question to you. Just, just sit here and just let this one seep in here too. Isn't it interesting or it, it, sometimes how impossible or difficult it is to tell or understand the significance? I have a quote here. It's often difficult or impossible for us to understand or identify the significance that God has called us to at the time. 
that at this very moment, here, here the angel is sitting in her bedroom. And he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go on. And this, it's going to be impactful for the next generation after generation after generation for the rest of eternity. But does she know how it's going to play out? Does she know what's going to happen? Because Mary very easily, just like so many of us, could sit here and go, I'm going to tell you why that's not going to work. I'm not equipped. I'm 14. I don't know anybody that can help me. Do you know what this is going to do to my family? I'm going to be disgraced. My family's going to be ashamed of me in the way that I, I, I acted or supposedly did. And this, this guy, Joseph, he and I don't even really know each other. We've been set up. But all he's going to know about me or all he's going to think about me is that I was sleeping around that I was cheating on him even before we ever got married. Uh, do you know what this is going to cost me? And yet, here we go. Isn't it difficult or impossible for us to understand or identify the significance that God has called us to at the time? Because you and I can't name anybody related to Mary. Name one of her parents. Who were Mary's parents? Who are Mary's grandparents? And yet we know Mary's name because Mary responded in a way that says, yes, I'm faithful. Yes, I believe you. Yes, I trust you. And yes, I'll do exactly what you're calling me to do, even though I don't fully understand it. Verse 46, and Mary said, this is like a prayer, right? She's exclaiming this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Big line right here. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Fast forward here to verse 55 or verse 54. It says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Here's what Mary understood. Mary understood that the significance in her life was not defined by what she did, but by whose story she was attached to. At the end of this verse, she says, remember Abraham? Abraham existed thousands of years before Mary did. And she said, Abraham, what God said to Abraham was this, Genesis 12. God's looking at Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God just imparts this blessing. He says, Abraham, your line is going to change the world. And Mary knew that. And so she's seeing the story of God be playing out in Abraham and then in Isaac and then in Jacob and keep going leader after leader after leader. All these big names, big people, big life changers, movers, you name it, all these big people. And she understood that God was at work through all of them and he had just extended an invitation to Mary to be a part of the same story. And she responded with, okay, you're in charge. I trust you, and I'll follow you. But here's a question that I, I just have for you. Do any of you ever feel like you're kind of just a pawn in life? Like, just let that settle for a second. Do you ever feel like what I contribute isn't much? Or what I make isn't much, or my role isn't much, or my role isn't significant, or what God's called me to? You know, we wrestle with purpose a lot. What's my purpose? Why was I created? Why am I here? If you ask me, I think this is one of the most deep questions that a person can ask. And I think one that so many of us, especially even here in this room, we will wrestle with to our grave. We often just wonder, what, what's the point? 
why am I here? Why am I created? Why did God look at me and say, okay, I'm going to create you. I'm going to put you in the family that you're in. I'm going to give you the gifts that you have. I'm going to put you in the job that you are. But why? And I think for me, I'll just share my experience. It's often where I've been in a job or I've been in a phase of life or a stage or in school or wherever. And I just kind of go, God, what, what's, I, all, I feel like a pawn. And on, on a game of chess, you understand, like any chess players here? Anybody else like chess? Here's what you understand. Wow, four of us. Okay, great. So in chess, for those of you that maybe don't know or care, in chess, you have a whole line of pawns on both sides of the board. And different characters or different pieces have different values, and the pawn has the least amount of value. The pawns don't do a lot. They can't do a lot. They can only move one direction unless they're killing somebody else. And in that case, they can go diagonal. But overall, a lot of times it seems like they get in the way or they're not super strategic or they're hard to use. And yet you look at other pieces and other players like, like who's the most important one? The king, right? The king, he can't do much, but he's the most valuable player there is because if the king dies, the game's over, the other team lose. But then you look at the rook, or the bishop, or the knight, and you start looking at these different pieces, and you go, man, these are the big players. Imagine being a pawn. These are the big players. These are the ones who move things. They have the power to make decisions. They, they enact things. They stand up for people. They have a voice, and yet I'm just a pawn, and I don't have much significance. But here's the thing. When you're a pawn, you actually have significant and crucial weight in the game if you understand the game. Think about that. You, if you're a pawn, you actually come into play in the most crucial moments that involve winning the game of chess, much more than the rook or the knight or the bishop or even the queen. Because the pawn needs to be so strategically placed at the exact right time to do exactly what's required to win the game. But through the eyes of a pawn, isn't it true? It's so easy to go, yeah, I don't matter. I feel stuck. I can't move. I can't go anywhere. Andy Stanley's a pastor down in Atlanta, and he has this quote, and I just want to share this quote with you because it just hits with me, especially in this chess analogy. It says this, most of us don't want to be a means to an end. Think about a pawn. A pawn, if you're a pawn, if you go, sometimes I feel like a pawn, and I just exist in life, and I just take up space, and I'm trying to figure it out. Most of us don't want to be a means to someone else's end. But here's what Andy says. We want to be the end. We want to be the purpose. We want things to revolve around us and for us to be the end result. And so if you want to have meaning in life, if you want to have purpose in, in your life, if you want to have direction in your life, we have to, or what does it say? We have to see ourselves as a means to an end. We actually have to see ourselves as playing into God's role and God's kingdom and what he's assigned us and how he's moving us so that, not that we're the end game, not that we're the end result, but so that God's kingdom is the end result. So, question for you. Have any of you ever heard of the name Lee Jong-Rak? Is that name familiar to anybody? So Lee Jong-Rak uh, is a guy from South Korea is this familiar? Anybody, anybody connecting the dots now? A couple people. So Lee Jong-Rak is a pastor in South Korea. And North Korea has gotten a lot of press recently. 
but I want to drop us just a little bit south and focus on South Korea. And so this man named Lee Jong-rak is a pastor of a small community. And what you could say about Lee Jong-rak is he, he was largely kind of just a nobody. Tiny pastor, tiny church, nobody knows his name, struggling to get things off, right? Struggling to get, get the, the plane off the tarmac here. It's, it's just, you'd never hear of him, you'd never care. And yet God shows up and, and what happens with Lee is that Lee gave birth, or not Lee gave birth, Lee's wife gave birth um, to their first child, and he was so excited, and he was so overjoyed. She had a C-section, and they pulled the baby out, and the baby had a deformity on its head. And he said immediately his soul just shattered, and he goes, God, why would you give me a baby that's broken? And he said immediately he feels conviction, and immediately he feels pain, and he goes, God, I'm sorry. This is the child that you've given, that you've given me, and this is the child that you're going to use for me, and I'm going to care for this child, and I'm going to love this child. And what ends up happening is the child has complications in the hospital. And so Lee starts traveling around, and he starts going all over the place in the hospital rooms because he's spent months there, and he starts getting to know the other families, getting to know the other people, and getting to know the other kids in the hospital. And what he felt like God was calling him to do was just start walking the hallways. Just walking the hallways. He, he's, he wasn't sitting there going, okay, I don't understand why. I don't understand how. I don't understand what you're going to do. I'm in so much pain right now. He says he would escape to a mountain nearby, and he, he called it his prayer mountain. And he would go up this prayer mountain, and he would sit down, and he would pray, and he'd say, God, I just want to pray for my child. Just heal my child. And he said on the mountain, he would feel convicted about the other children that were also hurting. And so he keeps praying for these children, and no joke, Lee starts going through all of these hallways, and people start coming to Christ all over the place. He would come in, and people would say, hey, Lee, we see that you're in here, and you care for your daughter, and you care, care for the, your child, and just all the things that are going on, and we see the complications, but would you pray for ours? And you know what his first question was? This is crazy. He says, do you know who Jesus is? And oftentimes, they would say no. And he would say, well, this is who Jesus is. I want to explain who he is, and then I'm going to pray for your child. And so people start coming to Christ all over the place. What ends up happening is a grandmother comes up to Lee, and she says, Lee, I'm at the end of my life, and I need someone to take care of my daughter with special needs. And he's sitting here going, I have my own problems. I have my own issues. I can't keep track of this myself. I'm paying too much already right now as it is for all these hospital bills. I can't. And she says, Lee, please promise me. And this is what she said. She put him in a corner and she said, I'll come to faith in Jesus if you take my child. So as a pastor, you're a bit shackled at this moment because there's a conflict of interest. And what he says is, let me explain to you who Jesus is. And he explains who Jesus is, and she comes to faith in Jesus, and a year later, she passes away. And so now you have this child with special needs, severe disabilities, and it's hard in South Korea to care for, child, for, for children with, with disabilities. It's not like here in the United States. It's really difficult, and oftentimes, the way that it works in their culture is if you have a child with special needs and they become too much of a burden to you, you just simply leave them out on the street at night. You wrap them up so that you don't have to look at the face, and you leave them on the sidewalk, and you walk away. And here's Lee, this guy that God had grabbed his heart and done something amazing and transformative in his own life, and now he's being called to do that for others. Lee starts seeing a pattern here of people that go, this is too much. It's not, uh, it's not enough for me or it's not good enough for me, so I'm going to sacrifice the life of this child so that I don't have to deal with it. So he designed this. This is called the Dropbox. 
It's the original Dropbox, right? Some of you use Dropbox at work. This is the original Dropbox, and what it is, is it's almost like an oven. It keeps the baby heated at night because it gets so cold in South Korea. So what people do is they walk up and they deposit their baby into this Dropbox so that it won't die because of the cold or so that stray cats won't get at it. And an alarm goes off in Lee's house, and either Lee or his wife come out, and without knowing who it is, without knowing the mother, without knowing the circumstances, whatever, they come out and they open the other side, and he pulls out the baby, and he cares for the baby just the way that God has called him to. Do you want to know something incredible about this? Over 630 babies have been in the home of Lee Jong-rak in South Korea. 600 and 30 babies, and it started, this is, I don't want you to miss this, because it's easy, and I just want to acknowledge where you're feeling right now, it's easy to go, that's not me. That's too big, that's too influential of a role, that's too important, that's too costly, that, that costs too much. But for Lee, it started with one. And God said, I have a child for you. And I want you to care for this child. He had to see his own child as a child of God and care for Baby on cue, playing that. He said, I'm going to give you your own child, but it's not really yours, it's mine. And then another one, and then another one, and another one. And he currently runs an orphanage now out of his home, and he takes care of some of the most marginalized people in South Korea. I think oftentimes when God shows up in our lives, it's at the times that we don't expect and we don't anticipate and we're not really sure what he's calling us to. And then he speaks or he makes it so absolutely clear and he says, I want you to do this. And if you're anything like me, my first response is time out. What's that going to cost me? How's this going to work out in the end? Is this actually going to matter or mean something? And I, I don't really like the circumstances, and I don't like what you just said, and I, I don't really want to do this, God. And, and oftentimes, God doesn't give us the details. If you read all throughout Scripture, all throughout this book, what God says and what he outlines in this is, is not, hey, here's the entire plan, here's how it's going to work out, here's what's, what it's going to cost you, now just trust me and follow me. It just starts there. Just trust me. And follow me, and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to deliver you for what I want you for. This is where our purpose is found. I've said this over and over. Our purpose is found not in ourselves or not by being the ends in ourselves, but in hitching ourselves to the story of God and what he's calling us to. So Francis Chan uh, has this quote. Francis is another pastor. And uh, he was recorded saying this. And, and I love it because oftentimes we are f afraid of failure. Is that fair? That oftentimes when God calls us to step into a situation or to move or to do something, the, the first thing that we feel is, well, I'm scared about that. I, I fear for that. I'm, I'm not sure what God's going to do in this. I'm not sure if it's going to work out for me. And what Francis says is this, our greatest fear in life should not be failure, but actually succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That when we get to the end of our lives, the worst thing that we can say is I was super successful at a whole lot of things that had no significance on eternity. 
that we got to the end of our lives and we go, okay, I missed it. What God was doing in my life and what he was beckoning, beckoning me towards and what he was calling me to and the invitation to the most important after party that I could ever be invited to, I missed it because I was focused on me being the end. And Francis says, don't, don't miss it. Your greatest fear shouldn't be failure. It's success, but success in the wrong way. So here's the question. What are you giving your life to? What are you spending your life on? It's a question I've wrestled with my entire life. It's a question I anticipate I'll wrestle for the rest of my life. But to find purpose and to find value and to find significance in a way that actually matters, not just for now but for eternity, what are you spending your life on? There's a quote I read this week. I'm just full of quotes today. This quote that said, whatever you do today is important because you traded a day of your life for it. And as Christians, so often, you know, here we are, we're sitting in this room, or maybe you're not a Christian, you're sitting in this room and you're trying to figure this out, or what does this mean? But I'm, I'm going to talk to Christians for a second. If you call yourself a Christian or a disciple of Jesus, so often it's easy for us to sit in a room like this with our arms crossed and go, okay, I'll do something when God tells me to, as long as I understand how it's going to work out for me. And I think we're living our lives day in and day out and we show up here every single Sunday, or maybe once every other Sunday, or maybe once a month, or maybe we just come when we can, because we're looking for this thing called purpose, and we're trying to identify it in our lives. And we're going, God, would you please show up, but on my terms, at my time, the way that I want. And I think we're missing it. I think we're missing what God's doing. There's someone in our church, they shared this with me last week, and they gave me permission to share this, um, but they said they, they felt this burden from God to start praying for a mom that she knew that was in need. And she said she, she's a young mom, um, she's not married, so she has this child, and she's just struggling to make ends meet, she's struggling to get by. And so this girl who's telling me this goes to our church and she says, I just had this burden and I wanted to pray for her and I, I wanted to do something for her, but I said, God, I literally can't afford to give her a coat because she needs a coat. I can't afford to give her a coat and I just feel so emotional about it and I feel so broken about it and I want it so badly for her and yet I can't give it to her because I don't have the means. And so God, what God said to her is be faithful. So she starts praying and starts praying and starts praying. No joke, within a half hour the doorbell rings and a package was dropped off because she had ordered something online as a Christmas present. Do you know what happened? This is stupid. She opens up the box. The box is from a name brand. I don't remember what it was, Gap or American Eagle or something. And a maternity coat, size small, was inside the box. She said she looked it up online. It was over a $100 coat. So now, here she is at a crossroads going, I just prayed for this, but I think somebody sent this to me by mistake. What do I do? And so she calls up the company and says, here's the thing, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but I was praying about this, and I don't know if you can talk about God, because you're customer service, and I don't know what you guys think about that, but I'm a Christian, and I believe in God, and I prayed for this, and this showed up at my door, and here's why I prayed for it, because there's somebody in my life that really matters to me that really needs this coat. Can I have it? And the lady on the other end, she said she's like baffled and confused, like, this isn't on my computer, I don't know what to say. <laughs> And she looks at her, not looks at her, but she, she says on the phone, she goes, you know what? 
keep the coat. By all means, keep the coat. Have a great Christmas. Thank you so much for calling. She hangs up the line. God wants to show up like that in your life. That God wants to, to step in and he wants to say, I want you to trust me in a way that you don't understand. And I want you to give to me in a way that doesn't make sense. And I want you to follow me in a way that you can't see where you're going. But I want you to trust me because I, I care about you. Here's Mary. I want to go back to Mary. Mary's in Nazareth in this little tiny town in Nowheresville, Middle East. And God shows up when she least expected it, when anybody least expected it. And God said, I want to extend you the most important invitation to an after party that you could ever be invited to. Now it's up to you. And God wants to show up right where you are, right in the midst of what's going on right now in your family or in your personal life or at your job or whatever it is you're doing. God wants to show up at the spot that you least expect him to because he's working in you and he's moving in you and he's calling you to something so great and so important and so unimaginably significant that we could actually play a role in the story of what he's doing to redeem the world. That he sees you, he knows you, he cares about you, and he loves you, and he's been beckoning you this entire time. And if you're anything like me, I've missed it. I've missed it so many times. And yet here he is, and I just, I wanna give us an opportunity right now to respond. Because I asked you this question, what are you giving your life to? Here's the other question. How are you living as a means to an end in God's kingdom? So would you do this for me right now? Would you close your eyes? Would you extend your hands out, palms up? Would you just repeat after me? God, I come to you today in anticipation. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your word. And I want to see the opportunities that you're putting before me. I'm willing to move when you call me to move. I'm willing to give where you call me to give. I'm willing to say what you call me to say. And I'm willing to go where you call me to go. And God, this Christmas, you are my focus. And this Christmas could be the one that changes my life. Because I trust you. And because I love you. God, we bring a lot of heavy hearts today. We bring a lot of anxieties. We bring a lot of fear. And we bring a lot of emotions that we just don't know what to do or how to handle. And just like Mary on that night when she's looking at you or looking at your angel and saying, how will this happen? How will this be? Father, when we don't understand what you're doing or how it's going to work out, I just pray that you would give us a sense of peace and a, a sense of childlike faith that we would follow you, that we would be excited about following you, and that we would wait in anticipation for you to do something great. Father, we give our lives to you as a means to your end. We pray that you would use us in a way that's so powerful and so significant and so unimaginably amazing in a way that only you can. Father, I pray that this Christmas is one for the books, that it changes how we approach our relationship with you, and it changes how we approach our relationships with others, and that we would find a renewed sense of in our lives. God, we love you. We commit this to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name.